today, we're doing things a little bit different today because we're um, trying to save as much time as we possibly can uh, because we begin a brand new series on uh, the end times today. So if you are here ready for that, I'm glad you're here. If you're here for the first time and say, oh my goodness, what have I done? We're glad you're here. I hope that you will know that as we talk about the end times today and prophecy and those things, it is something that is meant to encourage the body of Christ to know that God is in control, has always been in control, and will always be in control, and he has a divine plan for our lives. So I'm just going to open us up with prayer, and then we're going to jump right in, all right? Father, in these next few moments, speak through your word, and I pray that as you speak, Lord, that clarity would come to some hearts and minds, that encouragement would come to all of us, and that hope would fill each and every one of our hearts. And Lord, I pray that you anoint the words you've given me to say as they go forth, anoint our ears to hear them and our hearts to receive them so that you may accomplish your perfect will and we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So today we're gonna talk about the second coming of Christ, of Jesus Christ. Next week we're gonna talk about the signs um, of the times and sort of the sequence and order of things that will take place in the end times. And then the following week we're gonna talk about what is the rapture and what is that all about and look at the Bible verses that are concerning that. I, um, I wanted to talk to you because I told you a few weeks ago that based on a study by George Barna, one of the most um, asked questions that is asked of people today when it concerns the Bible is, tell me about the end times. With everything that's going on around us and things that look and seem chaotic, people want to know where are we in the end times in this. And the reason I wanted to speak to it is because there's a lot of voices out there, but we are part of a community and as the shepherd and pastor of this community, I want to speak to those things, but I also am concerned because I have seen over the years that prophecy sometimes gets lumped in with predictions. It gets lumped in with um, tarot card readings and palm reading and psychics and things like that. Um, there's a big difference between those, two, uh, those things. As a matter of fact, about three or four years ago, I was in the, uh, driving to the office. I was on Cobb Parkway, and um, I was uh, on a phone call. Uh, and my, uh, I was talking on Bluetooth, and my Bluetooth went out. And because the Bluetooth went out, I'm not going to pick the phone up. You know, that's illegal for everyone watching online. That's illegal. So I didn't pick the phone up. I shouted, give me a second. And I just pulled over into the first parking lot I could find. And as I pulled over, I realized I just pulled into the parking lot of a psychic. My first thought was, I hope nobody sees me. I hope they don't see the North sticker on the back of this thing, you know. And so I pull in, and um, I grab the phone. I'm talking for just a moment, and then I'm, I'm not paying attention, and then there's a knock that comes on my window, and it kind of startles me. And I look, and there's this guy there, and he goes, are you okay? Is everything all right? And I said, well, yeah, I'm okay. I just, and I explained to him what was going on, and then it, the thought hit me. I said, wait, shouldn't you know this? I'm afraid we lump them all together with folks that do predicting of things and predictions and just occasionally get it right. You know, you can predict a lot of things. Occasionally, you'll get something right, right? You know, a broken watch is right twice a day. It's still broken, though. Prophecy is not that. Prophecy are the promises of God telling us about things to come so that we can be assured that God is in control. So why do you talk about end times and prophecies? Let me give you the whole Bible 
in three statements. This is the sequence of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Jesus is coming, Jesus has come, and Jesus is coming again. That's the Bible, that's everything in there. He is coming, he has come, he's coming again. The reason why we talk about end times and prophecies, 30% of the Bible is prophecy. If you don't want to talk about prophecy, you've got to avoid a third of the Bible. As a matter of fact, one in every 25 verses in the New Testament deals with the second coming. Jesus himself talks about his own second coming 21 different times. There are 1,800 statements about the second coming That's five times more than was written about the first coming. And in Revelation chapter one, verse three, it tells us that God assures a blessing to those who will study prophecy. So what you need to know about prophecy is this. Prophecy wasn't given to frighten us. It was written to encourage us. Not given to frighten us. It was written to encourage us. So this is not in your notes. And if you've got the app, you can download a lot of these notes are right there. But this is not gonna be in there. I wanna address something which is why do people, some people, even people in the church, dismiss prophecy? Well, to be honest, prophecy can be complicated, okay? Some prophecies are dualistic, meaning that there is an immediacy in their fulfillment, but that immediacy is a foreshadowing of a future thing that is to come. In Isaiah, the prophe- some of the prophecies about Jesus are fulfilled in certain things, but they're also prophesying about when Jesus is coming the first time. And so a lot of these things that are taking place, there is an immediate thing that people point to, but there is a future thing that is taking place. And that, let's be honest, that's kind of complicated. So people, to avoid the complication, just avoid prophecy. The second one is something that, um, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm your pastor, and if this makes you mad, I'm sorry. Kind of. But there are teachers of prophecy, and they can be very opinionated. I'm not here to downplay teachers of prophecy. I'm not downplaying people who write books about prophecy. I read books to get ready for this. But they can be very opinionated in that they take prophecy and then their opinion, and they try to force the prophecy to fit their opinion. The reason why is in their opinion, they can see certain things that they think could possibly be fulfillment of prophecy, but they don't know it for sure. But to put that forth as if it were prophecy is wrong. So for you and me, here's what I need you to know. Our opinions, nor anyone else's, are the equivalent of prophecy. Prophecy determines whether our opinion is right, okay? That's important to note. The reason why I tell you that is um, I also recognize that those who specialize in prophecy only, there is a unique pressure on them, a unique pressure that they come up with something new so that their audience will keep reading and listening. There is an insatiable desire for something new. I mean, the Bible was written Thousands of years ago, it's still relevant. It's still applicable. There are still things to come. It speaks to every part of my life today, and there are people that really want something new. 
So let me put it to you this way. Too many people are looking for something new when they look, should be looking for something that's true. Just because someone says fresh and revelation doesn't make it biblical. So here, I've grown up in church my, my whole life, all right? Here's a statement that is made often that is not prophetic, okay? It's just not. There's nothing prophetic about this statement. We've never been closer to Jesus coming again than we are today. Well, yeah. <laughs> That's not prophecy, it's math. It's a calendar. There is a beginning and there is an end and we're not going that way, we're going this way, so we gotta be closer to this way. That doesn't discount prophecy, but what I'm saying is this, not all statements are prophetic. Some are just common sense. But people will dismiss it because either they are frightened of it or it's complicated or they get confused by the opinions of others or their own opinion, and when it doesn't turn out to be right, they wonder why God failed. Come on. God doesn't fail when we get it wrong. So, today we're talking about the second coming of Jesus. So let's talk about what is the second coming? What does Scripture say about the second coming? Okay? Not what does Kirk say, not anybody else. What does Scripture say? So let me give you what the second coming. This is a definition based on Scripture, and then we're going to read some Scripture in this. The second coming is the return of Jesus Christ to the earth to fulfill the remaining prophecies and fully establish the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. It's, it's really, that's the culmination of Scripture. There are some prophecies that have been spoken about Jesus that he's already fulfilled. There are some that are to come and he will fulfill every promise because I mean, every prophecy, because every prophecy of God is a promise of God and God cannot lie. And he will come to establish his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven in fullness and reality. And here's some of the things that the Bible says will happen. The living will be transformed. The dead will be raised. Creation will be healed and restored. Believers will be rewarded, and unbelievers and the wicked will be judged and punished. Here's why we know the second coming is real. Here's why we know Jesus is coming again. Because on the day that he ascended, after he rose from the dead, 40 days later, after he ascended into heaven, angels are right there, and they appear to the disciples and the others around them, and this is what they say in Acts chapter 1, verse 11. They say, men of Galilee... Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. John says this. He writes the book of Revelation as all of these things are unfolding before him as he is, the Bible says, as he's caught up in the spirit and God begins to reveal to him. In verses 11 through 16 of chapter 19, he says, then I saw heaven opened. And a white horse was standing there, and its rider's name was Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. And his eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And a name was written on it that no one could understand except himself. 
And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of purest white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a winepress. And on his robe and at his thigh was written this title, King of all kings and Lord of all lords. Do you know why some people are uncomfortable with the book of Revelation and end times? Because they prefer to see Jesus as a suffering servant than a strong, mighty, ruling king. Jesus did suffer and die, but he rose from the dead and he will never suffer again. And he is above all things, before all things, and ruling over all things. And the image that you see in Revelation is the first picture of the reality of who Jesus is. And what John writes cannot even uh, can't even comprehend. See, he sees all of these things and he writes to the best of his ability what he sees. But I don't think it even scratches the surface of the glory of Jesus that he sees at that moment. And the second coming of Jesus is not Jesus coming as a lamb. He's coming as a lion. And he's coming to rule and to reign. Jesus himself said this. At the last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens. And there will be a deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The second coming will be public and it will be seen by all. So let me answer a couple of questions here that people will have about this. It's common. The first question is this, when will Jesus return? It's a common question people wanna ask. When's he coming back? When's he going to return? But here's what Jesus, Jesus addressed this issue in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36. He says, however, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. No one knows when Jesus is coming again. We just know he is coming again. Jesus tells us that. He said, you're going to try to figure it out. He said, you're not going to figure it out. As a matter of fact, there have been people all throughout the ages who have tried to figure it out. In 1988, there was a man named Edgar Wisnett, and he wrote a book, sold four and a half million copies of this book, and it was 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 1988. (laughs) Anybody see a problem with that title now? (laughs) Four and a half million. The next year, he wrote another book and said, kind of got it wrong. He's coming in 89. Didn't happen in 89. Wrote another one in 93. Said, it's going to happen this year. Wrote another one in 94. Said, it's going to happen this year. After those books didn't sell any, he just stopped writing the books. (laughs) Jesus said, be very, very wary of people who say, look, see the signs. Go over here. There he comes. He says, no one knows the day or the hour. So if we don't know the day or the hour, and we don't know exactly when he's coming, then how should we live in light of the fact that the promise is that he's coming again? And we're going to answer this question. So how does the second coming, even if I don't know the timing, how does the second coming affect us? And Jesus tells a story in Luke chapter 12, verses 35 through 38. He says this, be dressed for service 
and keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you'll be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, serve them as they sit and eat. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. He says, you don't know the time, but let me tell you how to live. And what does he say? He says, first of all, we should be watching. We should be watching. New, New International Version says this of verse 37. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. What does it mean to watch? I mean, this, that, that doesn't mean you spend your days with your eyes gazing on the eastern horizon, wondering if Jesus is coming at that moment. What is to live with an awareness that he is coming. To live with a sureness that he is coming. It hasn't forgotten about it. He hasn't been, de- he's not delayed in it. He literally, he hasn't forgot, he hasn't, he hasn't um, missed his timing on it. It's to live in the awareness that the promise of God is true, that he is coming again, and to recognize that, and it changes, it changes my disposition. It changes my attitude. It changes my faith. When I watch the news, I don't have to worry and fret about all these things. It changes that because I'm aware that all these things may be taking place, but when they take place, my redemption's drawing nigh. And so I live with an awareness. So we are to be watching. The second thing is we are to be ready. Look at verse 35 and 36. He says, be dressed for service. Keep your lamps burning as though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. And then you'll be able to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. How are you ready for the return of Christ? When you allow the awareness of his coming to shape the way you live. So here's a question. I'm not asking you for a response. I'll allow God the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us individually. If we knew for certain that Jesus was coming either today, tomorrow, or the next day, here's my question. Would it change the way you live? When you know he's coming from a faithful, spotless bride, would it change the way you live? And if it would then that's the way we ought to be living. To be ready is to live in that awareness so that it shapes the way that I live. It shapes the way that I think. It shapes the way that I view people. It shapes the way that I view circumstances. It literally shapes the way that I go about my day. And it changes me. Thirdly, we should be eagerly, eagerly anticipating his return. In verse 38, it says, he may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready, eagerly anticipating his return. The best picture that I can think of is like a kid on Christmas Eve, one who's waiting for Santa, you know, You know what that kid's not worried about? He's not worried about 
if there are reindeer that are going to land on the roof of his house and mess up his shingles. <laughs> He's not worried about some intruder coming in the middle of the night down his chimney and messing around in his house. He is eagerly anticipating what is going to happen the next morning. To eagerly anticipate is to long for the day that Jesus is coming again. End times and prophecy is not written so that you have to worry about things. It's written so that you can be encouraged. Can I tell you this? End times and prophecies, listen to me. If you know the truth about prophecy and then you read the scriptures, there is no reason for you to worry and fret about the state of our society in which we live. You should pray. You should align yourself with the kingdoms of he- kingdom of heaven and ask for the kingdom of heaven to be done as it is on, on, on this earth as it is in heaven. You should do all of those things. But listen, it should not develop a fearful, hunker-down, bunker mentality where you pull back and kind of go, I don't know what the world's doing, better protect myself. It ought to open the floodgates of opportunities that says, Jesus is coming again. I probably need to go and tell somebody so that they can see what I can see and experience what I'm going to experience. Prophecy ought to make us ready to do the missional thing that Pastor Brett prayed about, that God send us out on mission because the time is drawing near. Eagerly anticipate. As John says, after he sees all the things in Revelation and writes them down, he says, even so, with all of this said, he says, oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But there's a final question that I really want to hone in on because it it is one that trips people up so much. And my encouragement to you is this. Many people ask, but why hasn't he come yet? Here's my encouragement. Don't let delay keep you from God's promise. Don't let the fact that he hasn't come when you think he's going to come keep you from his promise. It's been 2,000 years since Jesus promised that he's coming again. He even says in the book of Revelation, he said, Behold, I come quickly. How do we reconcile those two things? 2,000 years, and yet he says, I come quickly. Quickly, do you know that Simon Peter actually writes and addresses this very thing? And he's not writing 2,000 years later. 30 years after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven and made this promise, 30 years later, Simon Peter has to address this issue because people were already wondering, when is he coming again? And some people were mocking Christians for believing it. And so in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 3 and 4, he says this, Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From the time of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. He said, these mockers are going to come and say, where is Jesus? Nothing has changed. It's all the same. But then he writes two particular promises and things that you need to see and I need to see 
The first is this, is God's perspective of his return, his perspective. Look at verse eight, what Simon Peter writes. But you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. Now, what does that mean? That means God views and uses time differently than you and I do. The other thing is this, that's not a mathematical equation, okay? It's not for you to kind of go, okay, well, let's see. If I can figure out how many days, that's a thousand years, carry the one, I can figure out. No one knows the day or the hour. Simon Peter says he's coming again. So what does that, what does that actually mean? It means this, is that God can take a thousand years or he can take longer to accomplish something than you want him to but he can also accomplish something you thought would take a thousand years in a day. He might take longer than you want him to, but he's able to do more than you ever dreamed he could do in one day. Because God is not bound by time, he invented it. And the creator of time can step in and out of time whenever he wants to and do whatever he wants to. And in his perspective is this, he views time not from your calendar, from eternity to eternity, from one who has no beginning to one who has no end. See, I can get this side of things. I can't get this side of things. And when you look at his timing, his timing is so brief in life in light of eternity. So his perspective is different. But I also want you to see, and Simon Peter writes about this, to see God's patience in his return, his patience. In verse 9 and verse 15, he says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved this is what our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom God gave him. God's delay is not him being unfaithful. It's him being merciful. God is not slow, he's patient. He's not tardy, he's deliberate. He is not indifferent, he is lovingly waiting. I accepted Jesus after playing games with him for years and years and years, I accepted him in January of 1991. Never looked back. Can I just tell you something? I'm so glad he didn't come back in 1988. Some of you are sitting here thinking, I'm so glad he didn't come back 30 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago, one year ago. 40 of you are saying, I'm so glad he didn't come back a month ago. Based on your decisions to follow Jesus Christ these last few weeks. Why is he waiting? He's waiting for the very last person that he knows will accept him. And when it's full, he's coming again. He's not slow. He's waiting in love 
and waiting in grace. And end times ought not frighten us. They ought to encourage us. They ought to encourage us about what is to come, and they ought to encourage us about what is happening right now. Because Acts chapter 2 tells us that in the last days, God's going to pour out his spirit on all flesh. Yes, you ought to be excited about spending eternity with Jesus, but you also ought to be excited that the spirit of God is being poured out like never before. You ought to be excited because Haggai chapter 2 tells us that when the world is shaking, that the glory of God is going to be greater than the glory that people used to see it with. You ought to be excited that not only is there a future, but there's a glory that is to be experienced right here, right now. My family and I came here in 2006, and when we came, there was uh, my, uh, my kids were in um, kids' ministry at the time, and there was a, a ministry in that children's ministry for fourth and fifth graders, and it was called White Horse Riders. And um, the, um, when, I, when I first got here, I gotta be honest with you, I heard about the ministry, didn't know anything about it, heard the title, and my first thought was like, what? Now, I say this in, in, in fun now, because one of my dear friends, he's a trustee of our church now, Steve Simmons, was uh, leading that. And at first, I just said, what? Aren't we a little young? to be throwing revelation up in these kids' face, you know? But it's taken from Revelation 19. That there's a group that's going to be riding with Jesus in victory. And just as he rides a white horse, they'll be riding white horses. And it was not what it was was saying, because of the certainty of who Jesus is, you ought to be a lover of the word of God. And you ought to love people. And every year they took a mission trip together. And you ought to go out and tell the world about who Jesus is. When I found that out, I went, well, of course they should be white horse riders. <laughs> you see, when you know what prophecy's for, you don't have fear of something that you're ignorant of. But you step into that. And we all ought to be white horse riders. We ought to be lovers of God's word, looking to him, loving people, and about the missional work of telling people about Jesus and seeing this world transformed by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. End times and prophecies are written to encourage you that though this world may seem like it's falling apart, God's plan is still together. And the book of Revelation, can I just tell you? If you go home and read it, let me just tell you. Everything hell has and the devil has, he's going to try to throw against God, and God's going to win. And the authority of our God is so great that the devil is going to be cast into hell and God is not even going to dirty his hands with it. He's going to send an angel on assignment with the authority to do that. Here's what it ought to do. You ought to be encouraged that God is in control on his throne in, in charge of everything that is happening right now, ruling and reigning and coming again. Amen. Those promises are for God's Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If you know things aren't right between you and the Lord, that's probably a little frightening. 
But even though your heart may be frightened right now, I believe the Holy Spirit's quickening your heart to transition from that fear and fright to love and grace and acceptance if you'll ask the Lord Jesus to be Lord of your life. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If that's you, you know when you came in here this morning, things weren't right between you and the Lord. You just need to pray something like this and believe it in your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done. I thank you that you have revealed that you are truly the Son of God, that you are truly coming again, that you died for my sins and you rose to new life again and you are alive forevermore. Forgive me from the way I used to live. Forgive me of my sins in my past. And I accept you as Lord and Savior of my life. I yield now, surrender now to you. And I ask you to lead me through your word and through your spirit. I'll never be the same. I'll just ask everyone in the room to pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I give you my life. Come on, one more time. Jesus, I give you my life. Now, your head's still bowed, eyes still closed. If that's you, you know you made that decision to follow him today. I'm not here to embarrass you. I want to pray for you this week. But I want you to be bold enough to say, that's me. I made that decision and I don't have to be afraid anymore. Would you raise your hand and keep it up really high right now? Just raise it up. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Keep them up just a moment, please. Don't want to miss anyone. Amen. Amen. Greatest decision. From fear to faith right now. Amen. From anxiety to peace right now. Father, we thank you right now in the name of Jesus for the lives that have been surrendered to you today for hope that is given to each heart, for joy that is being rekindled in hearts that were filled with fear. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that the weight of our past has been taken off of us and that sin and shame has been replaced with joy. We thank you, O oh Lord, for what you have given us through the hope of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that as we study prophecy and end times, that we won't be fear, filled with fear, that we won't be filled with anxiety, but that we'd be, we'd be encouraged and we would be transformed knowing that your promises are true. And God, I thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to remain faithful because you said in your word, when the Son of Man comes again, will he find the faithful on this earth? And Lord, we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. In the wonderful, mighty, holy, lovely, and strong name of Jesus, we believe these things. Amen and amen. Come on, will you celebrate with me today? Seven people gave their hearts to Jesus Christ. Come on, give it up for the Lord. Amen. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Listen, if you made a decision to follow him today or over the last few weeks, we'd love to talk with you. Some of our grow team will be right around the front at the end of service. Maybe you just want to get a little more information about being involved in North Life. Uh, so many of you have been going through North Life and getting uh, into the life of the church, and we're so thankful for that. And if we can help you do that, these same folks here at the front will be able to answer those questions as well. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please. Don't forget next week, we're going to talk about the signs and sort of the sequence and order of things. And then the following week, we're going to talk about the rapture. And then the following week, okay, we're not going to be in this series anymore, but that's the first week of our annual missions festival. It's going to be a fantastic time. So I want you to go ahead and mark your calendars for those things, all right? Allow me the privilege to bless you before you go.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. And the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace in Jesus' name. Let's give our response from Psalm 19. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God bless you, folks. Love you. Have a great one.